Welcome to another edition of the Sermon Seconds Podcast. My name is Jordan Bird, and I'm here with Mitch Knight, and we're going to be looking at Psalm 62 and just giving our thoughts on some highlights that we see throughout the psalm, and hopefully our conversation will help you to think uh, deeper about the psalm and maybe reflect on ways that it intersects with your life on a daily basis. So to get us started, Mitch is going to read through Psalm 62 just to give us a refresher on what the psalm is saying. And this is NIV. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Truly He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down, this leaning wall, this tottering fence? Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul, find rest in God. My hope comes from Him. Truly, He is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in Him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Surely the lowborn are but a breath, the highborn are but a lie. If weighed on a balance, they are nothing, together they are only a breath. Do not trust in extortion, or put vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. One thing God has spoken, two things I have heard. Power belongs to you, God, and with you, Lord, is unfailing love, and you reward everyone according to what they have done. The first thing that stands out to me from this psalm is the first verse, where it says, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. Just that word, finding rest, I think if... I were to be honest and think about like on a weekly basis when I'm worn out from life or just run down from doing things like where do I find rest? Like my inclination is probably to think of things like taking a nap or doing something I enjoy or watching TV, something like that would be where I would tend to think of finding my rest, which that's not to say those things can't be godly or godly oriented and they can't be part of my enjoyment of the creative world that God has given me to participate in, they can be those things. But the temptation in our world and in reality is that we can often find or maybe put our trust or hope or belief in that those things truly are where we find our rest. Like if I could just have more time to watch that show, if I could just get uh, more sleep, if I could just, you name it, I would feel more rested. And that may be true on a biological level, but in a whole self sense, our life finds rest only in God. And a lot of people, I mean, myself included, can be tempted to believe that I'll find rest when I have the perfect job or the perfect situation or the perfect relationship or whatever it may be. Then I'll be at rest and I can enjoy life. And the reality is that God, through Christ has provided all that we need to be at rest. He's provided us the chance to live into eternity and to not have any long-term threats from any other source. 
it's only in God that we find life, and he is the one that we truly find our rest in. And even Adam and Eve experienced this once God was done creating everything, where even they got to participate in the rest of God on in the process of creation, where Genesis talks about God resting. So that's that's the first thing that kind of stands out to me, is just the idea that rest is something that we, in a very deep and fundamental way, find only in God and participating in the life of God. Mitch, do you want to add to that, or is there something else that stands out to you you want to jump into? Yeah, to add on to that, I think you going over what rest is and where we seek it is kind of what I get out of this, too. I think what you were talking about is how we as humans are kind of tempted to think about things and that, you know, if I just get one more paycheck, if I just have one more beer, if I just watch one more video, like I'm going to feel satisfied. But ultimately, you know, these little instances of things don't compare to a relationship with the true God. And also it's, and also like you were doing, it's a, it's a time for introspection to ask ourselves, what do we go to first? You know, when we're anxious or we're in trouble, where do we find our rest? And I think, um, what you said about TV or napping or anything like that's very true for me too. And, you know, I find whenever that happens, I'd always get, you know, punched in the gut by the spirit about, well, you know, you didn't pray about this, you know, you didn't read, you didn't seek me out at all. And I find that, you know, initially things that you run to that are like, you know, TV or video games or anything like that are satisfying in the short term, but they eventually become really dull really quick because they only really help me to go around the problem rather than actually to go through it and resolve it. Yeah, and in some sense, they don't even lead to arrest. They often can lead to our enslavement, which has a very deceptive nature to some degree. Something that could be good for us, uh, if we allow it to, can be something that can enslave us. Uh, the next thing that that point, uh, the next thing that stands out to me is just the second verse where it says, "Truly, he talking about God is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken." And just that reality that. We can put our stock in a lot of different things that we think will give us security in life. But at the same time, I feel like those things can often still leave us like, well, but what if this thing happened? Like there's still never this full security that comes with it. Like it could be like 90%, but if there's that 10% possibility or whatever it may be, but yet with God, there's nothing that can shake him. There's nothing that can pull us away from him and what he has for us. Even death itself, which is like the most threatening thing that we all have to our life, is no match for God. It doesn't mean that we won't have to necessarily endure it. Many of us will have to. But because of the resurrection hope we have because of Christ, even that can't be shaken. We have hope in Christ because of the resurrection he endured and that he also promises to us if we're United to him. You want to add anything further to that, Mitch, or something different? Another part of the psalm that sticks out to me is in verse 4 where it says, Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. And it's that last part, or I guess it still goes further. It says, With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. But it's that part that says they t they take delight in lies that sticks out to me. 
And it's this notion, this idea that the people that the psalmist here is talking about is that they are actually building their life or building their case to defend themselves against somebody or to attack somebody else based on a lie. Like the psalmist is openly admitting, like it's a lie. Like he realizes that. And yet the people who are perpetuating uh, whatever there's there, there is that they're perpetuating against him, they're doing it based on a lie. And it's like, they openly know that, but yet they're trying to build a firm foundation on something that's not even truthful or, reality to start with which ultimately points back to just the adam and eve story of adam and eve being tempted to think that they could have life in and of themselves going against what god said and the serpent basically says like you don't need god just you take the fruit you'll be like god and it's in taking up that lie that they start to firm you know found their lives on on that lie and what they soon find is it just collapses on itself it it doesn't hold up and the psalmist here is saying like you know they're they're doing the same thing yet they think they're going to get away with it and as we see not only in this psalm but in other psalms like god is there to be the one who helps pick up the pieces and to bring reconciliation and uh rested restoration and, and all things that come with the chaos of sin um that that we experience from other people or that we even uh, bring upon other people, whether intentionally or in our own ignorance. Uh, but that definitely stands out to me is just that, that line of how we often can be deceived into thinking that, well, this distortion is not, a, it's not very big. It's just a little. So therefore it won't matter down the line yet. There's sort of like a butterfly effect that happens with sin. Like that little bit just like ripples all the way through to just like, touches everything just like when you throw that little pebble into the water it eventually ripples out and touches a whole those those ripples touch a whole lot of things in the long run you may not see it in the moment but it does when you see the bigger picture you want to add anything to that or or jump into something different well and then when he follows up with you know in the next set of verses he says my salvation and my honor depend on god he is my mighty rock my refuge so whatever is being said against him in lies that they're delighting in, um, whatever lifestyle they're living in, and whatever social situation he's in, he knows that that's not where his value comes from. And I think with as social as we are, we whether or not we want to admit it, we care a lot about what other people think. But the thing is, if we have the hope in the resurrection of Christ and we have our value placed on us by our God, then it doesn't matter if someone calls you a jerk or they bear false witness against you. You know that your honor doesn't come from your social status or your reputation or what other people say about you, but it comes from you being a righteous child of the king and having value through Christ on the cross. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it ultimately comes down to where do we find truth and you know, is it just what I say or is it what someone else says or is it based on an objective standard by what God says? And the psalmist is, I think, operating from what I can tell based on the what God says. Like, you know, these people may think they're what they're doing is truthful when I can tell that it's false. But yet, you know, God's standard is ultimately what, what matters. I see a similar uh, pattern just further down in verse 10 where, 
The psalmist says, do not trust in extortion or put your vain hope in stolen goods. Though your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. And, and again, it's just this idea that like we can believe or there's this belief that someone could have that like, well, if I can just extort someone for something, as long as I get the, the practical return on the end, what makes the difference? Like the return is what matters, right? Like it worked. It was practical. It was, um, I did this. This is what happened and it benefited me. Like it seems to make sense. But yet, it's all based on the harm of another or the taking from another. Like it's not based in reality or truth. It's based on a lie. And it's like, even though you may get the riches, like ultimately they're not going to satisfy you. Like don't let your heart be uh, set on them. Don't let your life be founded on them because it's eventually going to fall apart and crumble. Like life with God is the only thing that's not going to crumble and fall apart. And life with God is based in reality. It's based in truth. It's something that's never going to fade away or, or go away. You want to add anything further or move on to another point? Yeah, I mean, some of the characteristics that the psalmist praises God for at the very end is, I think, in relation to the disappointment that can come from other people, like in situations like this, like people's love is going to fail at some point because they're imperfect. That's just what it is. I mean, love, agape love in Scripture is self-sacrificial it's laying down our interests to be invested in the interests of others but human beings through sin can be selfish um and david is obviously hurt by what the people around him have done but he praises god for his unfailing love knowing that in any situation he's always there for him and he has never let him down so i think it's just getting back to the idea of what relationship is more important to you? Is it like your relationship with others or is it with God? And, you know, how we treat others is obviously important in our relationship with God, but ultimately it's about seeking where we can get that satisfaction from. It's not going to be from people's failing love, but it's going to be coming, it's going to come from the refuge and safety of God's unfailing love. Yeah. And it's a good way to sum up uh, the psalm in the conversation and uh, points that we've highlighted. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Sermon Seconds, and we'll catch you next time.